Well, good morning. I've already said that, haven't I? Well, you hear it again. Good morning. It really is good to be with you, um, to see your face today. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, this is this is uh, our election day, and typically, uh, I don't I don't read the the report that uh, that is available for you. Uh, I read it last year for the first time, and I feel it's important um, to read it again this year before we even get into into the sermon. Um, because as mighty warriors, we need to know the fight. Um, and so uh, before we get into the sermon, um, I'd like to submit to you this report from, from my heart and from me. And uh, very simple. Um, once again, Wapaknaz looks back over our collective shoulder to the past year together and in the community. Uh, as I wrote last year, the health of Wapak Naz is not to be gauged by how well, or excuse me, the health of Wapak Naz is to be gauged, is to be gauged by how well we are loving one another in and out of the church, by our dependence on God and the Holy Spirit, by our desperation for God to move, by reconciling relationships, by asking for forgiveness, by extending our grace, by our extending grace, by our engagement with our community, and by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior yet. Undoubtedly, you have loved one another by praying over one another, meeting needs with food and funds, speaking or sending and speaking encouraging words, asking for forgiveness for misgivings and hurt feelings, um, consoled and comforted in grief, celebrated achievements and victories, and genuinely befriended one another. Man, that is just good. Wapak Naz, this is loving one another and has been done without organization from pastors. Did you get that? Let, let me reread that <laughs> because it's so good. Wapak Naz, this is loving one another and has been done without the organization of pastors, but by the Spirit and organically as you have acted when you saw a need or even just created an opportunity to do so. All of this you have done without neglecting the fact that Wapak Naz exists not for itself, but we exist for the expressed purpose of Jesus Christ as strategically placed here, right here, on the corner of Court and Benton to connect the community to Christ Jesus. Our come-as-you-are mentality is mirrored by our go-to-where-people-are mentality, both of which 
Jesus modeled. Wapak Naz, you have done this through handing out free bottles of water at the Summer Moon Fest, giving out muffin baskets to businesses in order to intentionally engage with people, collecting school supplies, providing the school nurse with specific needs uh, for the elementary school, blessing our high school administration, staff, and teachers with a wonderful meal, praying over our community and more, not to mention Easter Extravaganza and Family Fall Fest. Wapak Naz, all this is love people loving people to Jesus Christ. Wapak Naz is love people loving people with an endpoint. We have, and I'm going to be very clear, we have an agenda. We have an agenda. That's Jesus Christ. Wapak Naz, you have been unashamed about pointing people to Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that. And that is exactly what has been done this past year because of God working through you. Through you. Many people have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Several are preparing to be baptized. That's to come. And there are several who have been and continue to be discipled in Christian community. Way to be you in Christ. That's what God's asking us to do is just be us in Christ, right? So, let us pray. Let us love. Let us disciple through the following year as if the lives and eternities of others depend on it. And they do. May there be greater things of God being worked through the great people of Wapak Naz this year. Respectfully and humbly submitted by me. I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for being you and doing what God has called you to do is be you in him. And uh, you might turn me down just a tad. And thank you for doing it organically, on your own. It's not me pushing you. It's not Matthew pushing you. It's the Holy Spirit doing that in your life. It has been amazing to watch you see a need within our own community here or outside the community and meeting it. That's what Jesus Christ calls us to do, very simply. You see it, you fill it the best that you can in the moment. So thank you. That is who we are. That is who we're called to be. And so I'd like to pray over you, if that's all right. You mind just bowing your hearts for me, with me? Heavenly Father, this is not my church. It's yours. I didn't die and rise from the dead. You did. For these folks and this community, And Lord Jesus, I thank you that we are doing our best with every fiber of our DNA to live by the Spirit and by the Word of God. And I thank you that you have moved upon hearts and minds in this congregation to lift their eyes up so that they can be eyeball to eyeball with other people and look at their heart 
and love on them in the way that that person needs loved. It is not just about Sunday morning, Lord. We are called to be radical believers in Christ, radical lovers of our community. Will you continue to do that work in the lives that are sitting right here and those that are not here today? It's not about Wapaknaz getting larger, but it's about advancing the gospel and the kingdom of Christ through us. Will you anoint us and fill us with your Holy Spirit? Will you get us in tune with you so that we may hear your voice? And whenever we see the need, we do our best to fill it and love and share the gospel of Christ. I love you, Jesus. Will you bless these families? Grant them your favor. And may we have the favor of our community as well, that we may be able to speak into our community the gospel of Jesus Christ because it redeems and it delivers, it restores and it transforms. Thank you for that. It's in your name that we ask this morning, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for letting me take just a moment. I know that's not the typical sermon, um, but I felt it was necessary to say today. So I appreciate your time um, in that. Well, this morning we continue. Um, Thankfully, I'm not in cuffs today. Uh, A little bit more comfortable than last week. Um, And yellow is definitely not my color. My goodness, I'm fleshed out. I'm a pale man. Uh, But we are... We are in Colossians, uh, the whole book of Colossians. I'll reference um, several scriptures today. Uh, There will be some up on the screen as we go through, um, and I'll let you know as I read as we go through. Um, But uh, um, before I begin, back in the uh, early 1930s, this is post-World War I, uh, the Treaty of Versailles has been in place for a while. But unfortunately, things were unfurling uh, in Germany at this time. Uh, The the Treaty of Versailles depressed uh, Germany economically, politically, and militarily. So much so that there were several parties that were vying for position in the Republic. And two parties specifically brought the Republic down. uh, The Communist Party and the Nationalist Socialist Party. And uh, on January 30th, 1933, by Democratic, uh, Democratic election, it's really odd to say when we're having church elections, geez, I didn't think about that. Not going to happen here. Uh, by January 30th, 1933, Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of the Reich. And President von Hindenburg said this of that. By appointing Hitler chancellor, you delivered one of the greatest demagogues of all times. I solemnly predict that this wretched man will be the ruin of the Reich and will bring down unspeakable sufferings on our nation. 
the Bonhoeffer family absolutely resonated with this sentiment, this emphatic and prophetic sentiment, particularly Karl Bonhoeffer's son, Dietrich. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a devoted Christ follower. He was a disciple maker. He was a theologian, and he was a pacifist. We know Bonhoeffer from his wonderful works, The Cost of Discipleship, Ethics, and a great work called Life Together. And in this, he writes, where I've, there it is, he writes this, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to a believer. Lovingly, the imprisoned Paul calls his dearly loved son in faith, Timothy, to come to him in prison in the last days of his life. He would see him again and have him near. Paul has not forgotten the tears. Timothy, as our youth pastor Matthew mentioned, Timothy shed when last they parted. Remembering the congregation, the people. That's what a congregation is, people. Remembering the congregation in Thessalonica, Paul prays night and day exceedingly that we might see your face. The aged John, the, apo- uh, the apostle, the disciple, knows that his joy will not be full until he come to his own people and speak face to face instead of writing with ink. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to a believer. You, you, are an incomparable joy and strength to other believers. But the thing is, these words have a bit of irony to Dietrich. As in 1943, April 14th, Dietrich wrote from the confines of Teagle Prison, my dear parents, I don't want you to be quite, I, I, do, I do want you to be quite sure that I'm all right. I'm sorry that this is the first time I've been allowed to write to you. But it is quite uh, out of the question during the first days. See, just two days after Hitler came into power, and the day that the Republic dissolved, Bonhoeffer gave a wonderful lecture called The Younger Generation's Altered View of the Concept of the Fuhrer. The Fuhrer principle, which obviously Hitler embraced and embodied himself. And Hitler, or Bonhoeffer, denigrates the Fuhrer. And he says the, the simple fact that we forget that man stands alone before the ultimate authority. He reminds Germany, and he reminds us, that leaders or offices which set themselves up as gods, mock God. And the individual who stands alone before him must perish. From 1933 all the way until his arrest, there was this parallel pattern that emerged between Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Adolf Hitler. The more vicious the regime and oppression of Adolf Hitler, the more resistance that Bonhoeffer ensued through the ecumenical church 
the universal church. So much so that Dietrich Bonhoeffer himself struggled and wrestled with biblical principles. He struggled with ethics and his pacifism. He struggled with God. And as a result of the wrestling, Dietrich could no longer allow Hitler and the right to do what they were doing. And so Bonhoeffer, along with several other individuals, some even in the government, set out in conspiracy to take out Adolf Hitler. This is similar to the Valkyrie, but a different conspiracy altogether. But nonetheless, both failed. The attempt at Adolf Hitler's life by placing a bomb in the plane, it didn't detonate. And as you know from the history books, what occurred. And it was a very wonderful, bright Monday in April 1943 in which Bonhoeffer and several other conspirators were arrested by the Gestapo. For the next 18 months, Bonhoeffer sat in Tegel prison until October of 44, where he was removed and put in close confinement. So much so, he, he talks about walking the walls and getting his shoulders rubbed raw. And it was in February of 1945 where he seemed to disappear. There was no contact with his family any longer. He was moved to Buchenwald and then to Schoenberg and finally Flossenburg. And right at the height of the Allies and where Germany was about to cave and lose their power altogether, they scrambled and prisoners were being executed left and right. And one of them, the enemy of the state, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was executed April 9th, 1945. Like Bonhoeffer, Paul. Paul's life has some irony to it. It jumps off the New Testament, off the pages of the Scripture. See, before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul. Saul the Christian killer. We understand this from Acts chapter 6, 7, or 7 and 8 and 9. Paul was this Christian killer who was all about legalistic righteousness. Good works get me closer to God. But more so. As for his zeal persecuting the church, right? Philippians. Hebrew of Hebrews. And he persecuted the church so much so that he was hell-bent on mission to capture, imprison, and execute any one man, woman, or child who professed and proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ. But Acts chapter 9 happens, where Saul is actually 
on his way to Damascus. You've heard Damascus in the news just recently. He's on his way to Damascus with papers in hand, and he has a moment where he meets the Lord, Jesus Christ, the glorified Lord at this time. Transformed. And now we know him to be Paul the Apostle, the missionary, the one who's heaven-bent on proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever he went. He no longer is about legalistic righteousness, but is filled with the grace that, that only comes through Jesus Christ. He begins doing what he was persecuting in the first place. It says, and now he himself is imprisoned for doing what he persecuted in the first place. He says in 4.3, Colossians 4.3, and I pray for us too that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you greetings. And at the very close of this simple letter, he says, remember my chains. Bonhoeffer, Paul, both prisoners, both isolated. Bonhoeffer, a man who wrote a book about Christian community and the incomparable joys and strength that you gain from one another. Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Bonhoeffer was so bent on this idea of Christian community that he created Christian community all in the Baltic, northern part of Germany, hiding out and discipling people. Paul was so bent on the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christian community, he traveled several missionary journeys and planted churches and visited and stayed, connected, loved, discipled, admonished, rebuked, all for the sake of Jesus Christ. Both men found themselves in prison, isolated, alone, far from what you and I have right now. You may be separated by some space in between the pews, but guess what? You are a community. You are a Christian community. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. The irony of Bonhoeffer and Paul jumps out. And so, although you may not necessarily find yourself in prison for the gospel, you probably can relate to both men by the fact that our life, at some point or another, we will fall upon terrible times. Terrible times, untethered, tattered. We find ourselves confined by the walls of life, so much so that we're rubbing our skin raw. We find ourselves where everything is out of our own control. You may not be in prison for the gospel, 
but you may be imprisoned by loneliness, by depression, by grief, by loss, by addiction, by abuse, by that broken record that keeps going through your mind from when you were a kid. You might be imprisoned by your own opinion of yourself. You might be imprisoned by other people's opinions of you. Whatever the case may be, at some point in our life, we feel that imprisonment, that the walls are closing in. And that may be you today. I don't know. But it's quite possible. So, Paul and Bonhoeffer. They share some things. They share some things about what do you do when you feel that imprisonment, when you feel confined, when it's just real tough. They keep it basic. They go back to the basics. They don't have lights. They don't have comfortable orange pews. They don't have a piano. They go back to the basics, the very basics of our faith, which I find very ironic by the fact that we sang that song, We Believe. Above all, Paul calls those who are called little Christs, Christians, to Christ. If you would, follow along with me. Colossians chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. Toward the back of the the Bible. This scripture is not up on on the screen. Because it's too long. That's a lot of typing, right? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Above all, Paul calls us to Christ. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Focused eyes on Christ. Bonhoeffer writes this, That Jesus Christ is more important than the fact that I will die. And that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead is the only ground of my hope that I too will be raised on the last day. Bonhoeffer in one of his letters to his parents describes one of his colleagues in the prison put something over the door. He said, Over the door of this cell of one of my predecessors, he has scribbled the words, in 100 years 
it will all be over. He continues and he says, that is his way of trying to overcome the feeling that time spent here is a complete blank. There is much to be said on the subject and I should like to talk, talk it over with Papa. Quote, unquote, my time is in thy hand. Psalm thirty-one, sixteen. That is the Bible's answer. But there is also a question with the, which the Bible asks and which threatens to dominate the whole subject. Lord, how long? Psalm 13. Undoubtedly, in light, or shall I say in darkness, of the prison that Bonhoeffer and Paul sit in, we need to understand that whenever life is at its hardest, we are to focus on the founder and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. Because... Our life, according to Colossians, is by him and for him and none other. Let me repeat that. Our life, your life, is by him and for him. No one else. Not even the person closest to you. It's for Christ and none other. But, you know, how do we get to focus our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith? It's a few things, and they're very basic. We keep it simple. The Word of God, prayer, and praise. I'd like to read to you a prayer that Bonhoeffer writes that probably resonates with you, because, man, it resonates with me. O Lord God, great is the misery that has come upon me. My cares would overwhelm me. I know not what to do. How many of you have felt that? Oh God, be gracious unto me and help me. Grant me strength to bear what thou dost send and let not fear rule over me. As a loving father... Take care of my loved ones, my wife and my children. O merciful God, forgive me all the sins I have committed against thee and against my fellow men. Remember, love God, love others. I trust in thy grace and commit my life wholly into thy hands. Hmm. This is a dangerous prayer. Do with me as seemeth best to thee and is best for me. Whether I live or die, I am with thee, and thou art with me, my God. Lord, I wait for thy salvation and for thy kingdom. Amen. Bonhoeffer, not knowing if his life will come to an end or will continue, prays such a prayer. And he writes on the first day, to his parents, and he says, To my surprise, the discomforts you usually associate, associate with prison life, such as it is physical hardships, don't seem to trouble me at all. I can even make a good breakfast each morning on dry bread, and sometimes I even get a few extra tidbits. I'm not so unused to solitude as some people would be. 
And it is quite as good as a Turkish bath to the soul. I'm really sorry to cause you so much trouble. What a great comfort Paul Gerhardt's hymns are. I'm learning them all off by heart. Then I also have got my Bible. Paul wrote several times, chapter 1, verse 3 in Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord, when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love for all the saints. Verse 10, he continues, and he says, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. He continues in chapter 4, verse 2, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too. Paul continues to bring us to prayer. And he doesn't leave it there. If you go in chapter 3, verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. And then he says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Folks, when, and this is the cliche phrase, when the going gets tough, Right? Folks, when the going gets tough, we go back to basics. We are not above this. We are not above the Word of God. We are not above praise. We are not above prayer. Many of you have said, Oh, I wish I could do more than just pray. Well, then do more prayer. Folks, we rely on Jesus Christ and the Word of God and our connection, our line of communication with God Almighty. When it just... Go to the Word of God. When it just... Go into prayer. When it's just... Praise Him. That reorients our eyes to the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. There's nothing more in tune that gets us more in tune with our God than those three things and reorients our perspective in life and on our situation. And ultimately, Paul and Bonhoeffer, they encourage us to live a life worthy of the Lord. I just read it a moment ago. Paul says, and we pray this, in order that you may live a life worthy. He continues. And he says, 
So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live in him. Verse 17, chapter 3, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And, more astounding to me, Paul, a prisoner in chains, a man who's not really sure whether he's going to lose his head or not, writes to slaves who are in chains. And he says this, chapter 3, verse 22, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you, and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. A man in chains to writing to other people in chains, he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you will know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Folks, it's never about where you are. It's always about how you live. Catch that for a second. It's never about where you are. It's never about if you're on the job. It's never about if you're in the funeral home. It's never about when the pastor sees you or when people in the congregation see you. It's never about the circumstance that you might be in, the struggle that you're having, the hell that you might be enduring, the accusations, the allegations, or whatever they may be. It's about how you live. And obviously, we've seen so much so in the past several months about how people lived in private and in public. It's about how you live. Um... Just about uh, a week and a half ago, uh, I had the privilege of being a part, I I do have the privilege of being a part of a program that has started through this district, several pastors on our district, and and, uh, our uh, district superintendent, Jeff Konselman. I mentioned this to you uh, early, uh, late last year, and you raised funds for, for just this program. Uh, there are men in uh, the Allen Oakwood Correctional Facility that are literally desperate for people to teach them the truths of Scripture. Men who see their confinement not as confinement, but as opportunity. Opportunity to get into the lives of the rest of their fellow inmates. Inmates will not go to COs when they are suicidal, when they are depressed. No, they go to fellow inmates. Opportunity. And these 12 men and more who applied to this program that weren't able to get in yet are desiring 
to use their confinement as an opportunity to bring people to Christ, to counsel and love, to save lives, literally save lives, and put lives into eternity. And I had the privilege a week and a half ago, and this is not to boast in me. If you don't know me, that's not who I am. I had the opportunity to teach a room full of men. These are their papers that I have to grade. Um, Not a good grader, so. uh, But I, I stood there for three hours teaching about biblical concepts and scripture and the basics of counseling. And I saw the hunger and the desire in their eyes and their hearts for other men that are in that facility. And it's not just that facility. They're thinking bigger. They're hoping that through this program, more men from all over the state of Ohio, which there are, will transfer to this facility. Get trained up in the Lord, in Scripture, in biblical doctrine and principles. Then go back to these other facilities and transform men's lives so that that facility will be transformed for Christ. They don't see their confinement as confinement, but as an opportunity. And they are trying to live their life worthy of the Lord to do whatever they can whether in word or deed to do it in the name of Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel and the message just as Paul said devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message this is Paul in prison so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul doesn't see confinement as confinement, but as an opportunity. For those of us that are free, we see confinement as confinement. Let's change our viewpoint and see it as opportunity. That we may comfort others who are going through the same trials. Paul speaks this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That the comfort ourselves that we receive from the God of comfort, we may be able to give to others. Folks, let's live a life worthy of the Lord and do it as if we're serving the Lord. Whatever we may do whether in word or deed, may it be to the glory of God. And when we focus on Christ, when we go back to the basics, the simple things, we complicate it, don't we? When we go back to the simple things, the word of God, prayer and praise, then what Paul says becomes True. The peace of God, of Christ, will rule in our hearts. Back to Philippians, he says this. 
by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And what? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. The peace of God, which doesn't make sense in the circumstance that we're in, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You're saying, Ambrose, it's probably a sea sermon. What do we do with it? There's a couple things. Choose to live a life worthy. Sometimes, even in the darkness of the moment, you have to choose other things than the darkness of the moment. You have to choose it. I was standing here this morning trying to wrap my head around the beginning of the service. And everything we ask, we're asking God to do. God, will you do this? Will you pour out? Will you do this in our life? Will you speak? What do we do? What do we do? I'm here. I'm waiting. Man, we got to choose differently sometimes. We got to choose differently. God is speaking, and I guarantee you, He's speaking right now in this moment. He's been speaking, and it's not the pastor. The Holy Spirit's been moving because we've been praying for this. We pray for you every week. We pray for these moments that when you hear the Scripture and the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit will do a work in your life. I guarantee you the Holy Spirit's moving in your life right now. It's what we choose. What are we going to do with what He's stated and what He's given us? Choose to live a life worthy. What is that? What is that? Go back to chapter 3 in Colossians. Let us clothe ourselves with righteousness. Be humble. Let's change our perspective of the confinement, that it's an opportunity. We have opportunity all the time. And if we don't, we create opportunity. Choose to live a life worthy. This is even a little bit more practical. You know what? For some of us, it's just getting in the word of God. These prison letters that Paul's written, they're very short. They're very short and sweet. Philippians you can read in 12 minutes out loud. Colossians you can read in about 13, 14 minutes out loud. Ephesians is about 20 minutes out loud. First and Second Timothy, both of those combined is about 15 minutes out loud. Philemon, man, you can read in about 60 seconds out loud. Begin to saturate yourself in the word of God. Read it from the mindset of a prisoner. For just speaking the gospel. How much do we need one another? Be that incomparable joy. That strength for your brother and your sister in Christ. Share a word. From the word. Call, text, Instagram, Facebook, snail mail, 
carrier pigeon, whatever it is. Share a word from God's word to someone in your life. I learned something very simple from the youth pastor that I was under, and we're going to wrap up here because I see it's almost 12 o'clock. Very early on in my Christian walk, and this might be you, this might be you, somebody comes to mind, and they continue to come to mind. Well, first, pray for them. Very simply, pray for them then let them know that they've been prayed for. Give them a call, shoot them a text. Just communicate with them. Send them a card. You've been prayed for. I don't know what's going on in your world, just letting you know I'm praying for you. Speak it out. Let them know. Last but not least, man, you might be thinking, I really think this Jesus Christ thing is, is, is real, man. This is truth. All the world has given me a whole bunch of crap. And this is truth. I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to know the Word of God. I want to figure this out. I want to connect. Eight-week Bible study. Eight-week Bible study. It's the foundations of Christianity. It's, it's the basics. This is, this is a conversation. You get into scripture and you ask questions. And we explore Jesus and God together. If that's you, there's a connection card in your pew. Put your name down, jot down eight-week Bible study, drop it in the joy box. Or you can just hand it to me. I'll connect with you. We'll get you hooked up. Because we care about your soul. We care about your heart. And we care about your relationship with God. So, There's a lot of opportunity right here. There's a lot of choices. Choose one. Take that step forward, whatever it may be. Will you do that? Please stand. Just bow your heads for a moment. We're just going to pause before God. Pause in His presence. Heavenly Father, when all our world is noisy, chaotic, and at times confusing, we just come to You in quiet, and in calm and in peace because we desire your peace to rule in our life will you move hearts and minds Jesus and may we respond to that movement God your will nothing more nothing less Amen. Folks, may you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please love your neighbor as yourself. We love you guys. And we'll see you. Elections will be taking place here. Uh, They're open. Please go ahead and do that first before anything else. That would be wonderful.